And welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 73. Yesterday we concluded 2 Kings chapter 16, and so we're going to start in 17. 17 is a very important chapter. Um, We see what happens to persistent sin and defying of the Lord in the northern kingdom. And so in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, In the twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, Oshia, son of Eli, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. King Shalomizar of uh, Assyria attacked him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. So the king of Israel became his flunky. But the king of Assyria caught Hoshea in a conspiracy, and had uh, and he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and had not paid tribute to the king of Assyria as in previous years. And so uh, the uh, king of uh, Israel was secretly conspiring with the king of Egypt, with Pharaoh, in order to, I guess, rescue them from the king of Assyria. Assyria had become a huge power, probably the biggest power in the region at that time. Uh, And it says, therefore, the king of Assyria arrested him and put him in prison. He He arrested the king of uh, of Israel. So we see who the flunky is. In verse 5, the king of Assyria invaded the whole land, marched up to Samaria, and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He deported the Israelites to Assyria um, and, set, and settled them in Hala and in the cities of Medes or the cities of the Medes. And so he went up, he captured the kingdom of Israel and sent the people out, deported the people. And so now, you know, the Lord, I guess had gotten tired of the people consistently sinning over a long period of time. And so we see here that the Northern kingdom had lasted for over two centuries, over 200 years, but the, but the consistent and ongoing sin, you know, idol worship and other things that the Lord had just had enough. And so it says in verse seven, Uh, This disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out uh, of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they worshiped other gods. Uh, The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. They built high places in all the towns from uh, in all their towns, uh, from watchtower to fortified cities. Uh, they set up for themselves secret pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. In verse 12, they served idols, although the Lord told them, you must not do this. Still, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law. I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. He kept sending them prophets and seers. He kept telling them what to do. They tried to straighten them out, but they just wouldn't follow. And so this is, like I said, over a couple centuries, over 200 years, and about 20 kings in the north. And in the north, we saw that just king after king after king after king after king was evil. So it did uh, what Jeroboam did, just led the people in the ways of sin, not in the ways of the Lord. And this was the ultimate consequence. It says in verse 14, but they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate uh, like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant he made with their uh, ancestors and the warnings he had given them. Uh, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Whoa. And so this is this is the reason all of this happened. All of this happened is being made very plain and very clear. 
It says in verse 16, they abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. Uh, they made cast images for themselves, two casts in a Shira pole. And it says in verse 17, they sacrificed their sons and daughters to the fire and practiced divination and interpreted omens. <laughs> they sacrificed the most um, vulnerable of them, their children, uh, uh, to foreign gods. You know, now why would he do this? I think it was promised like maybe everlasting life or eternity or whatever, or a better life. I'm not sure what the reasons were, but whatever the reasons were, they, they, they had succumbed to it. And it says that they practiced divination and, and, and interpreted omens. And so, you know, when we're playing around with, uh, you know, sorcery or pr pr playing around with things like, uh, 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 you know, 1-800-PSYCHIC, whatever, the Lord takes these things seriously. We may think that they're ridiculous or some people, you know, actually believe in this stuff. The Lord detests this stuff. And so um, it says they devoted themselves to what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. The word says they devoted themselves. This just wasn't a passing thing. They gave themselves entirely to these practices and they devoted themselves and it was detestable in his sight. And so therefore the consequences are predictable. Um, in 18, it says, therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained. And so we see that the tribe of Judah had a succession of good kings, even though they didn't follow the Lord wholeheartedly either. Uh, but they still did what was right of the Lord in many cases. And, uh, but in the north, none of them did. And so, um, and so they are the ones that get banished from the land, basically, as the Lord used Assyria to come in and conquer them. It says in verse 20, So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, punished them, and handed them over to plunderers until he had banished them from his presence. Out of here, skedaddle, gone. You know, and so now they are refugees in other countries as they have been banished and kicked out of their own country. Uh, let's skip forward to chapter 18. It says in verse 1, In the third year, of Israel's king Hoshea, son of Eli, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became the king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Hmm, check this out. Verse 3, he did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places. Remember, most of the kings in Judah, the word says they had done what was right in the uh, uh, sight of the Lord, but they did not remove the high places. It says, Hezekiah removed the high places, shattered the, sac uh, the sacred pillars, and cut down their shira poles. And so he was getting rid of this foreign worship in the land of Judah. Uh, it says in verse 5, Hezekiah relied on the Lord God of Israel. Uh, now, one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a tremendous compliment. It says, not one of the kings of Judah was like Hezekiah, not before him and not after him. <clears throat> it says he remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. <clears throat> In verse 7, it says the Lord was with him and wherever he went, he, he prospered. The Lord was with him wherever he went, he prospered because he followed the Lord. You know, uh, so he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So unlike Okay, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, rebelled Assyria and did not serve him. 
And so he didn't fall into the same trap, you know, that the, um, excuse me, that the king of, uh, of, of Israel had fell, fell into, and then all the people had been deported and whatnot as a result. Uh, and so then we go on to uh, uh, verse 14. It says, uh, king, um, king Hezekiah of Judah sent word to the king of Assyria at Lachish, uh, I have done wrong. This is, this is, I find this to be interesting. He says, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Uh, whatever you demand from me, I will pay. The king of Assyria demanded 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold from King Hezekiah of Judah. Of Judah. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver he found in the Lord's temple and in the treasuries of the king's palace. And so, because it says here that um, in the 14th year of the king, then King Sennacherib of Assyria came and attacked Judah. And so King uh, Sennacherib was the heir to the king that had attacked uh, Israel. And so uh, we see that the pattern is gone. So they attack Israel. They take over Israel. Uh, and it seems like, I guess, Hezekiah had resist, resisted for a while. And then King Sennacherib uh, attacked the fortified cities of Judah. And uh, he captured them. And so this is when Hezekiah says, I have done wrong. And then the king demands 11 tons of gold and, and whatnot. And so Hezekiah starts stripping things. And it says, um, uh, in verse 16, at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's sanctuary and from the doorposts he had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So he's trying to pay him off. He's trying to, you know, the king of Assyria has come in. And, and so um, Hezekiah is trying to pay him off to, to leave him alone. Now, why didn't Hezekiah uh, consult the Lord and whatnot if he was following the Lord that tight? I don't know, but he didn't. But the Lord had a plan. So maybe he was compelled to do this because the, lo the Lord had an ultimate plan for this. Uh, it says in verse 17, Then the king of Assyria sent a field marshal, the chief of staff, and his royal spokesman, along with a massive army from Lachish uh, to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Uh, they advanced and came to Jerusalem, and they took their position. They called for the king, but Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, uh, came out to meet them. And so the, the enemies of the, or the, the, the army of Sennacherib, the enemy army to Judah, comes to the gates. You know, they take their position. They're ready to seize it. Uh, seize it. And then um, uh, Eliakim comes out to meet them. So what happens? So in verse 19, then the royal spokesman, uh, the royal spokesman said to them, so this is the spokesman for Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. What are you relying on? You think mere words are strategy and strength for war? Who are you now relying on so that you have rebelled against me? Now look, you are relying on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff. And so that's plenty read of the staff. And so he's saying, you're relying on Egypt, who used to be powerful, but today, not so much. That they will pierce the hand of anyone who grabs it and leans on it. And so they're saying, you're depending on Egypt. You think they're going to help you, but they're really in no position. All they do is really suck stuff from the people requesting help, but they really don't help them because they can't help them. This is what Pharaoh, king of Egypt, uh, is to all who rely on him. Suppose you say to me, we rely on the Lord our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you must worship this altar in Jerusalem? 
And so he's so apparently they've taken note what Hezekiah has gone and removed and done in honor of the Lord. And they're kind of, they're, they're, they're mocking him. They're mocking, you know, what's going on. And then in ver, down to uh, verse 23, it says, Now, have I attacked this place or destroyed it without the Lord's approval? The Lord said to me, attack this land and destroy it. So they're lying. They're, they're, they're telling the people, because the people are sitting on the wall, too. They're not just talking to Eliakim, the, spo- or, or the person that uh, Hezekiah has sent. The people are sitting on the wall. They can hear what's being said. And so <clears throat> they're essentially saying, we have permission from the Lord to come and take you over. But they're just trying to demoralize their enemy. In verse 26, uh, then Eliakim said to the royal spokesman, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, uh, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew within earshot of the people on the wall. Verse 27. But the royal spokesman said to them, Has my master sent me to speak to these words only to your master and to you? Hasn't he sent me to the men who sit on the wall, destined with you to eat your own excrement and drink your own urine? <laughs> <laughs> so he said, I'm not here just to speak to you and to Hezekiah. I'm here to warn everybody to tell them what their future is if they don't surrender to us. And in verse 28, the royal spokesman stood and called out loudly in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't rescue you from my power. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord uh, by saying, certainly the Lord will rescue us. The city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Verse 31, don't listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and surrender to me. Then each of you will eat from his own, fi- eat, eat from his own vine and from his own fig tree, and uh, each may drink water from his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. And so in other words, he's saying, you know, look, if you just surrender to me, I'll let you be cool. You can eat of your own vine, drink of your own water. Until I come and take you away to depose you and put you somewhere else. But where I put you, you know, you'll still have all of the creature comforts that you're used to and and you'll still be good. (laughs) In verse 33. Uh, let's see, wait, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, so that you may live and not die. But don't listen to Hezekiah uh, when he misleads you, saying, the Lord, will what, the Lord will rescue us. Verse 33, has any of the gods of the nations ever rescued his land from the power of the king of Assyria? Uh, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of uh, Sepharvarim, Hena, and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my power? Who among all the gods of the land has rescued his land from my power? Uh, so will the Lord rescue Jerusalem from my power. So he's saying, look, I've conquered all these other lands, all these other kings. They relied on their gods and nothing happened, nothing happened there. We still took them over. We still won, you know. And it says, so will the Lord rescue Jerusalem? He hasn't rescued any of these other folks. And so, again, this is going out and people on the wall are hearing this. And so in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the Lord's temple. He sent Eliakim uh, to the prophet uh, Isaiah, son of Amos, or I should say Amos. 
And so this is the first time we're hearing a prophet, uh, a prophet uh, Isaiah. Isaiah is a very influential prophet, as we will see later on. Uh, and so he sent word to the prophet Isaiah. And in verse 5, uh, so the servants of the king of Hezekiah went to, uh, went to Isaiah, who said to them, tell your master, uh, the Lord says this, don't be afraid because of the words you have heard with which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me. So the Lord is telling through the prophet Isaiah, don't worry about that. They haven't done anything to you. What they've done is they blasphemed me. I am about to put a spirit in him and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land where I will cause him to fall by the sword. When the royal spokesman, uh, then in verse 8, uh, so again, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah talking to the messengers from Hezekiah. Now we switch back to the battlefield. Uh, when the royal spokesman had heard that the king of Assyria had pulled out of Lachish, he left and found him fighting against uh, Lebanon. And so he had heard, he was at the wall of Jerusalem. He had heard that the king uh, of Assyria was fighting somewhere else. So they left, okay? They left their threatening position in Jerusalem to go back and assist the king. And then, um, and so then the king then sends messengers back to Jerusalem. So he said, um, so he said again, uh, so he again sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, um, say this to King Hezekiah of Judah, don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? My, the gods of the people we beat, they didn't rescue them, so your God isn't going to rescue you. That's essentially what he's saying. In verse 14, so then Hezekiah receives this message. It says he took the letter from the hands of the messengers, read it, and then went up to the Lord's temple and spread, out, spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. And you got it. So this is a desperate prayer. I mean, he's 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 against the wall here. Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God. You alone. All um, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent uh, to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Verse 19. Uh, now, Lord, uh, Lord our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are God and God alone. Whoa. In verse 20. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, uh, sent a message to Hezekiah. The Lord, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord has spoken to him. <clears throat> Virgin daughter Zion despises you and scorns you. Daughter Jer Jerusalem, shake, uh, shake her head behind your back. Who is it you have mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. You have mocked the Lord through your messengers. Uh, through your messengers, You have said, uh, with many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, and cut down the, the tallest cedars. Its choice cypress trees. I came uh, to its furthest outputs. 
its densest forests. I dug wells and, and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up all the streams of, of Egypt with the soles of my feet. Verse 25. Have you not heard? I designed it long ago. I planned it in the days gone by. I have, I have now brought it to pass and have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble. Uh, the inhabitants have become powerless, dismayed and ashamed. They are, plains, uh, they are plants of the field, tender grass, uh, grass on the rooftops, blasted by the east wind. But I know you're sitting down, you're going out, and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Because you're raging against me and your arrogance has, uh, has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you go back the way you came. So the Lord has told Sennacherib essentially, all right, you all that, but this is what's going to happen to you. In verse 32, therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city, shoot an arrow here, come down before it with a shield, or build up a siege ramp against it. He will go back the way he came and will not enter the city. This is the Lord's declaration. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. In verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. <clears throat> in verse 36, so King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. And so the Lord struck down almost 200,000 in the Assyrian camp. And I guess the king was like, wow. So he booked, he left, he went back home. Then it says in verse 37, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god uh, Nisroch, his sons Adremelech uh, and uh, Sherezar struck him down with the sword and escaped to the land of Ararat. And his son uh, Esarhaddon became king in his place. So he went back home, and then one day his son struck him down and then fled, and then his other son became the king. And so he had threatened the Lord's place, and he got his just desserts. Then we see in chapter 20, in verse 1, In those days Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, um, came and said to him, This is what the Lord says, Set your house in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor, David, says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the Lord's temple, and I will add 15 years to your life. Then Isaiah said, Uh, bring a lump of uh, pressed figs. So they brought it uh, and he applied it to his infected skin and Hezekiah recovered. Now this is interesting because we see here that Isaiah didn't just pray. He also sent uh, servants to bring something back. So we see here our prayer and medicine are kind of working hand in hand together. And then it says in verse 12, <clears throat> at that time, uh, the king of Babylon sent letters to, and a gift to Hezekiah since he had heard that he had been sick. Hezekiah listened to the letters um, and, and showed the envoys everything, the whole treasures of the, of the kingdom of Judah. And so then Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, who are these men? He says, well, they're from Babylon. He says, well, what did you show them? He says, I show them everything. And so then Hezekiah says, look, 
in verse 17, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all your fathers have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who came from you, whom um, whom you father, will, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought to himself, why not? If there will be peace and security during my lifetime. So Hezekiah said, oh, as long as I'm alive, everything's going to be cool. But all this stuff is going to happen after I die. Okay, that's a good word. That, that was a very selfish thing on Hezekiah's part, in my opinion. He's not looking out for his generations. He doesn't care that some from his household are going to become eunuchs in the land of Babylon. He doesn't seem to care. But anyway, in verse 21, it says, Hezekiah rested with his fathers and his son Manasseh became king in his place. And with this, uh, with that, I should say, we'll pick it up in chapter 21 tomorrow. Bye-bye and be blessed.